coming up on the Shark Fighter podcast. So I believe that the prednisone and vitamin D are what caused the hemorrhage or the bruise, and that's what caused her to pass away. Angelica Gautman wants to know how her grandmother died. My grandmother was amazing. She was just the best person. She was my best friend, really, truly. Angelica's grandmother had sarcoidosis, and Angelica thinks it had something to do with a combination of prednisone and vitamin D. Her hypothesis is coming up. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome to this episode 59 of the Sark Fighter podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin, and this podcast is brought to you in part by a grant from Atire Pharma. And also a reminder, if you have pulmonary sarcoidosis and you're between the ages of 18 and 75, you may qualify for a new clinical trial. The Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is excited to be partnering with Novartis for a research study to test an investigational treatment that may help those living with pulmonary sarcoidosis. This opportunity is not only taking place in the U.S., there are also international locations available. Visit www.stopsarcoidosis.org to learn more and to see if you qualify. And for participating international locations, check out clinicaltrials.gov and then search sarcoidosis CMK 389. CMK 389. There's also a link in the show notes for this podcast. Well, guys, of course, uh, this is John Carlin, and my trusty boxer, Dougal, is curled up on the chair in my office today, and everything is well with the world. I do this podcast to offer you, my fellow Sark fighters, hope, and to help you connect with other Sark patients, to hear their stories, understand how sarcoidosis is affecting their lives, and the idea, and I know this works for me, is that it helps you understand what you're up against, what you need to overcome, whether it's the disease, the effects of the medicine, or both. You know, And in my case, uh, hopefully you hear that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I went through several really, really difficult years, um, but my medication is working, and I have, uh, I have neurosarcoidosis on my spinal cord, but I am doing very well right now, and doctors have have gotten my situation under control. And you know, I, I just think it helps to listen to either uh, the patients who come on and tell their story and talk about how they are continuing with their lives, but also facing the day-to-day difficulties with sarcoidosis that that other people don't. And and when you hear those stories, you understand that. What you're up against is not unique, that it, that it is possible to overcome this situation, um, but, but also that it may take some time. And, and I feel like when you hear what other people are going through or have gone through, it kind of says to you, okay, I'm not dealing with this all by myself. There are other people. This is, this is quote-unquote normal for uh, for people with sarcoidosis, and I have some idea what to expect. 
I, I have some idea that, you know, that prednisone is going to do this to me. I'm not making it up. I'm not, I'm not complaining unnecessarily, maybe. Uh, this, this is real, uh, but uh, also uh, I, I just know what it does. And, and, you know, sometimes people listen to the podcast and I think they're just trying to figure it out. And sometimes uh, I think it just helps to know. It, it definitely helped me to know what was going on. Now, so today I've got a couple of things that we're going to do. Um, we're going to listen to Angelica. We just heard a couple of quick clips from her interview, and she will be telling the story of how close she was to her grandmother and now what she's doing to figure out how perhaps a combination of vitamin D and prednisone led to her untimely death. And it, it's interesting because Angelica is very young, and I'm going to tell you more about her uh, after I tell you a little bit about how, because this is uh, April and it is Sarcoidosis Awareness Month, and World Sarcoidosis Day is April 13th. And so there's uh, there's a little bit of responsibility I'm going to lay on you today, a little bit of... Uh, of uh, uh, I, I'm going to ask you to do what the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is asking all of us to do, and that is to raise awareness during the month of April. I think we do it all the time, but let's really put on a full court press, a little basketball term there for you, during the, the month of April. And I'm, how often have you had to slowly say to somebody, sarcoidosis, Sarcoidosis is what I have, and then they kind of understand what is causing your suffering. They don't understand it. At least they know what you call it. And if we can make it more of an everyday word, maybe maybe we won't. You know, we won't have to slow down and explain it every time. Um, so this is the month that the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research (FSRs) is literally throwing everything at it. So uh, I will tell you, there's Steps for Sarcoidosis, which is their fundraiser, and they've come up with sort of some unique numbers here. Um, that's where they're inviting members of the community to walk, run, step, or hike all month long, and they want to reach 61,250,000 steps collectively, all of us, as a community, or complete the equivalent of 21,500 miles. And so the idea is, is we take 175,000 steps throughout the month to represent the approximately 175,000 people who have sarcoidosis in the United States. I usually say 180,000. You've heard me say that, but 175,000 is the verbiage that FSR is using right now. Um, that's a little over 5,800 steps a day, which isn't that much. There's a lot of people who kind of, their goal is 10,000 steps a day for regular fitness and health. So a little over half of that. Uh, but if we can get 350 people to reach out to the community with that 61 million plus steps, they'll raise $61,250, and that will accelerate groundbreaking sarcoidosis research So, and patient support and education and so forth. So that is the Steps for Sarcoidosis uh, request. Now, there are other things you can do which are much easier. You can do this on your phone. You can do this at your computer. Uh, and it's just when you're doing your social media posts, or maybe you don't 
do social media every day, but this month, do it. All right. And then whatever you post, use the hashtag, make it visible. Make it hashtag make it visible, all one word. And there are a couple of other hashtags. Make it visible, hashtag what is sarcoidosis, all one word, hashtag sarcoidosis awareness, and hashtag sarcoidosis. And I do this with all of my posts. If you follow me on Instagram at the sarcfighter, uh, you'll see that I've been doing that. And the other thing that FSR wants you to do is to find their posts and then just share them. Just amplify their messaging and they are out there. They're working really hard, right? They're coming up with posts every day. So just follow the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Then when you find one of their posts, just share it on your social media. That amplifies the message. And if everybody who's listening now just does that, you will help push out all the messaging that the hardworking folks are doing at FSR. And so what they want you to do, however, is if, if you post, personalize your posts are copy with your own story and messaging. Encourage your social media followers to get involved and spread the word as well. Tag your friends and challenge them to share. And then, as I said, repost FSR content. And they've actually put together a toolkit where you can literally go in and then just download these little thumbnails that they already have made for you and then just post them. Just download it onto your phone, download it onto your computer, and, and then just share the thumbnails that are already uh, Instagram or Facebook friendly. And, you know, one of them says April is Sarcoidosis Awareness Month. One says, what is sarcoidosis? And it explains, it says how to pronounce it, sarcoidosis, an inflammatory disease characterized by the formation of granulomas, yada, yada, tiny clumps of inflammatory cells. And it goes on. Uh, you, you've probably heard that before. But listen, this is the thing to do. And now the other thing I would ask you to do or tell you to do if this has piqued your interest is to go back and listen to the episode right before this one where I interviewed four of the leading uh, people at the foundation and they all talked about the different things that are going on this month. So April Sarcoidosis Awareness Month. Let's spread the word. Let's get out and do it. I'm doing it, and I hope you'll do it. And I hope you'll do it also by actually by sharing this podcast, which has become uh, a tool that the foundation uses to raise awareness and to let people know what's going on. All right, let me introduce you to Angelica, and I want you to listen. Every once in a while, uh, you meet someone who is just impressive. The, uh, the, literally, you talk to them for just a little bit and you realize that this person has more going on than the rest of us who are just walking around on the planet. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say Angelica is likely one of those people. Or let's say maybe she's going to become one of those people. Maybe she already is and she doesn't even know what her potential is. But I kind of think she does, and I kind of, I kind of think you're going to see it too. She's a high school senior. She is about to graduate. She lives out in California, uh, near San Francisco. Uh, and keep this in mind: she's she's not a professional researcher. She has not yet reached the level of many of the people who have appeared here on the Sark Fighter podcast. And we've had the, the opportunity to interview people who are at Stanford and Harvard and Yale and have finished their doctoral and medical degrees and now are in the research field. 
This is not Angelica, so please don't confuse her with those people, even though she kind of she sounds like them in many ways. But Angelica's grandmother died from sarcoidosis. Uh, she died before anybody expected her to. She was at a point where she was in the hospital. They thought she was going to come home the next day, and instead she passed. And Angelica believes that a combination of vitamin D and prednisone led to complications that caused her grandmother's death. And there's no clinical proof of this anywhere. Uh, this, this is not even a theory. It's a hypothesis. But Angelica has gone so far as to interview a number of sarcoidosis patients to see if she can somehow establish a trend or a pattern in that direction. Uh, again, remember, it's not scientific research. It's not clinical. It's not based on anything in a laboratory, uh, although there is some sort of preliminary evidence about it and around it. And I haven't had the time to research it. I did talk to uh, a couple of the people at FSR, and they said, well, you know, there's, there's kind of maybe something there. Um, and it's, it's something that people are looking at. But let's just say this young lady who literally joined me one morning before going to high school, if she can at least show this correlation between prednisone and vitamin D by interviewing other people and, and seeing if maybe other people have suffered the same thing that her grandmother did uh, to, to a lesser extent, uh, when she gets to being a clinician, uh, and I will tell you that Angelica has applied to all the Ivy League schools or many of them. And, you know, she's looking at Stanford and, and you know, all the top level A-list schools in the country. Maybe she can help us peel back another layer of the mystery that is sarcoidosis. So coming up, we'll hear her talk about this possible connection to vitamin D and prednisone and honestly, the heartbreaking story of how Angelica lost the person who she describes as her best friend. I feel like a zombie Just feeding and stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast, and joining me now is Angelica Gautman in uh, California. Angelica, welcome. You're you're just across the bridge from San Francisco. Yes, thank you. I am. Yes. All right. So that you are you are in Marin County, and you were just telling me that um, it's often foggy in San Francisco, but it's always beautiful in Marin County. Yes, as soon as you kind of cross the middle of the Golden Gate Bridge, it's like a wall. It's it's kind of like the marinas, um, the heavens, and San Francisco kind of, you know, the opposite. It's very funny, always very funny to drive across the bridge. Got it. Okay. Well, now um, you are a high school student applying to colleges, but we were just, just talking before we began recording. Um, you are looking to go to... Um, some, some fairly impressive colleges. Where have you applied? 
I've applied to a lot of the IVs, Stanford, Harvard, UPenn, Columbia, um, and a lot of the UCs. UCLA is definitely my top choice. So, yeah, I, I guess they, they are they are pretty um, pretty hard to get into, but we'll see. Yeah, well, those are high levels. So, but you are uh, you obviously have the grades in the background and so forth to to handle that sort of thing. <laughs> Possibly. I don't know what they're looking for. So I have no idea, but hopefully something will get me there. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, um, so well, let's talk a little bit about your sarcoidosis story. And when, when I say yours, I mean your grandmother's. So your grandmother died from complications related to sarcoidosis. Is that the best way to put it? Yes, I'd say so. Yeah. All right. And you are trying to figure out if there's a connection between prednisone and vitamin D, which um, could be very controversial. What, what, what let's, I, I'm, there's so many places to start here, but let's just jump in with your grandmother's story. She, um, when was she diagnosed with prednisone? Um, 2007 with, um, so she she was diagnosed with pulmonary sarcoidosis with 2007 and then prescribed prednisone i believe in 2009 okay and so she took prednisone for quite a long time up until 20 2017 okay when did she pass 2017 2017 she took okay it all the way through, yeah all the way through do you know what uh levels of uh, doses she was taking do you know what? I think it was 200 milligrams, but I will need to check. Wow. Okay. That would be a lot. Yes. She oh was on a God. lot of it. A lot of prednisone. All right. So she was also taking, was she prescribed vitamin D or did she just take vitamin D? So she, um, at the time they were prescribing her vitamin D supplements, but now that I look into her case file, um, she was overproducing vitamin D naturally, as a lot of pulmonary sarcoidosis patients do. Um, it just didn't come up on the scans because the vitamin D that she was producing was actually in an inactive state. Um, so it didn't come up on the scans that they did. They had to do a scan for inactive vitamin D to find it, but they didn't do that. So they just prescribed her more vitamin D supplements instead of doing the second scan. Got it. And what, and what, eventually led to her death, according to your hypothesis, then? So I think that, um, I think that the overabundance of vitamin D that was in her system, um, with the over, like, immense amount of prednisone that she was taking, um, led to the hemorrhage that she had. So the hemorrhage was um, an internal bleeding. It was a really big part of it. Um, a really big bruise on her abdomen. And she developed that about a week or so after she, um, after they upped her prednisone a little bit um, because they had been taking it down slowly, but they upped it again. And once they upped it, um, she kind of developed that bruise and that's what we went to the hospital for. Um, and that's what led to um, her kidney failure and, you know, her untimely death. But um, so I believe that the, prednisone and vitamin D are what caused the hemorrhage or the bruise. And that's what caused her to pass away. Now you're taking a course where you, you look into um, correlations, causations, that sort of thing. What is it? It's AP, what AP is research. It? Yes. AP research. And so you started looking at other patients to see if there was, if your grandmother was not the only one, tell us what, what you 
why you thought that and what you found. So um, in the class, we are taught to uh, create our own project, and it was supposed to be a gap in the knowledge that is there today. And so this, for, to me, was a gap in the knowledge because nobody, I talked to researchers at Stanford, UCSF, um, that had been researching sarcoidosis, especially pul pulmonary sarcoidosis for years, and they had never come across or thought of anything like this. Um, and there were no real scholarly articles out there about this or scholarly work. So um, this was my gap. And in the class, we're supposed to create our own methodology and collect our own data. So I thought that there was no better way since there was since there was no data on this out there. There was no better way than to interview uh, other patients to see if they had similar experiences with prednisone or vitamin D. Um, and so when I talked to um, quite a few they had told me that they never developed uh, hemorrhage, that large bruise on their abdomen. However, they told me that they also were overprescribed vitamin D um, because, again, they the doctors and researchers didn't do that second scan for the inactive form of vitamin D. And they said that when they were taking vitamin D and prednisone, there were a lot of detrimental um effects on their bodies that they experienced. And one man actually told me that he did start to ease, uh, I mean, bruise, bruise very easily when they upped his dose of prednisone while he was on vitamin D, um, that, which didn't happen when he was off of vitamin D. Interesting. So the he was continuing to take the prednisone, um, which many of us, most of us do. I think that's for 90% of sarcoidosis patients, that's the first line of defense is prednisone. So almost yeah. everybody listening to this, if they have had sarcoidosis, um, has taken prednisone. But uh, the vitamin D is the wild card here. Is yes. that, is that, and that's, that's what this, so you've, you've found at least one other person. How many patients have you interviewed? Um, so through FSR, I interviewed four. Um, and then outside of FSR on my own findings, I interviewed about 10. So 14 or so. Okay. All right. Got it. And these patients were all, were they taking vitamin D because they were in the supermarket and they said, oh, I'm going to take vitamins. Vitamin D is good for you. Or were they prescribed vitamin D? No, every single one of them was prescribed a vitamin D supplements, except for the very few of them um, who whose doctors actually thought to do the scan for inactive vitamin D and saw that sarcoidosis patients overproduce it naturally. So aside from the two that are that that were taken off the supplements because of that second scan, everybody was prescribed vitamin D supplements. Got it. So are you still actively looking for people to interview? I am. Yes. Um, so I, my, while my project itself is due in the next month for the class, I will definitely be continuing the research myself. So yeah, I would, I'm definitely um, looking for more interviewees. So what kind of person was your grandmother? My grandmother was amazing. She was just the best person. She was my best friend, really, truly. Um, she was the one who kind of, my parents were both um, at work very, you know, most of the day. So she was the one who I kind of spent most of my time with um, when I was little um, and when I grew up. And so she, um, no, she was, she was honestly an incredible woman. She taught me to cook. She taught me manners. She taught me everything, honestly. Um, and while the disease definitely slowed her down, she had oxygen tanks that she was strapped to and she couldn't really travel, um, even though she loved to travel. Um, she still somehow always 
helped me with whatever I needed. She always was there for me. Whenever I had an event at school, she would always help me with those. So she was just, she was so, so absolutely selfless. It was honestly inspiring to me. Well, that's, that's an amazing story. And then um, when, when did she first start noticing that there was something wrong? When I was about five, um, I don't even remember what she what she noticed. If I'm being honest, I think I was too young to notice. And when she passed, I was only 13. Um, so I um, wow, it's been a long time. Um, so I don't really know what caught like how she noticed it. But I just remember um, I was sitting on the couch when I was five. And there was a man that came with oxygen tanks into our house at about 7 or 8 p.m. It was super late for me back then. Um, and he strapped her to the oxygen tanks or strapped them onto her, I guess. So that's just what I remember. I think it was, I I remember she had a lot of trouble breathing. That's what I remember it to be. And, and ultimately, because it's very hard, um, in many cases for doctors to even diagnose sarcoidosis. So I was just wondering, um, if you knew anything about how that all came about. Sorry, John. I, you you paused. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, we had a we had a little bit of a, a instability. I just got a thing on my screen. I, I can edit this out. But um, was it difficult for doctors to diagnose your grandmother? Um, it definitely was. Yeah. So um, I, they didn't really know what it was at, back then as well as much. It was um, even less research than it is now. Um, And at that time, she was in her late 50s and they told her that she was one of the really, really rare people um, and that this illness only traveled within uh, very young women, which now we see is, you know, not true at all. Um, But so, yeah, at the time they just didn't. Yeah, they didn't expect it. Um, They they thought it was actually literally anything else. Um, But yeah, so that's what they kind of told her. They said that you're one of the rare women that isn't in her twenties or thirties that, that got this illness. So. Interesting. Wow. So she lived with your, you're spending most of your time with her, your parents are at work and she's got these oxygen tanks. What was her daily life? Like it was very selfless again. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. She was, she was on bed rest, sadly, for most of most of the last few years. Um, she it was very hard for her, the oxygen tanks and the absolute lack of uh, energy that she had and the lack of mobility that she had. Um, so her her life was mostly just taking care of me and my little cousins. I have three little cousins who are all boys who at the time lived with her as well. Um, and so she would take care of us all the time. She would cook for the whole family. So her daily life was just taking care of others. Always. It was always helping my little cousins with their homework, helping me with my homework, cooking for us, cleaning the house. Um, so it was selfless, very selfless. But she was able to do that even with the sarcoidosis and, and, uh, did she have the oxygen tanks that you pulled on a little cart or how did she, how did she get around? Well, the oxygen tanks were on wheels, so she could walk and kind of um, stroll them. But uh, cooking wise, she kind of just, you know, stood and seared it on the pan or or put it in the oven. Um, And then for all of our homework, we would be usually sitting for that. And then cleaning wise, I mean, she didn't mop the floors or anything like that. But, you know, she'd like clean up 
the dishes or something that was that required standing and moving her arms instead of running around the house. And she she just continued to do that right on through sarcoidosis. Oh, yes. Yes. Wow. Wow. What was your grandmother's name? I'm sorry. Lydia. Lydia Glazer. Okay. And um, so it must have been very sad for you and your family when you took her to the hospital because of what looked like a bruise and then she didn't come home. Yeah, it was shocking. Um, and, you know, there were there were definitely aspects of um, of, I guess, layers of shock that came in as well, because it was really interesting. She had actually um, been doing a lot better on the last two days before her passing than her entire weeks that she spent that she spent there. And they had actually signed her out of the ICU and put her um, into just normal hospital room and told us she would be fine to go in a, in like over the night. So um, in the morning, they said that she would be free to go. And then that morning, her kidneys started shutting down. Um, and so that's kind of, um, that was the shocking part. It, it, she was, I think it was two days later, she passed away. So, um, and again, the kidneys were also another kind of thing in my research that I looked at as well, because the, um, because of kind of the connection of vitamin D and prednisone and all that. So all of it, her whole case, honestly, is just such a mystery. Um, and I'm trying so hard to kind of connect the dots, but it's very hard as you can imagine. Wow. So so you reached out to the foundation for sarcoidosis research. Did you just find them with a Google search or how did, how did that come to be? Yes. So uh, my, I believe it was my sophomore year of high school. I'm a senior now. So two years ago um, I had, I, I don't know, I felt like I was old enough to kind of start researching and looking into her case file and all that stuff. So, um, but before I even looked, before I even began or thought of my research, um, I just wanted to do something that, would contribute to the community that my grandmother was in and that would kind of, I don't know, not honor her, but I guess, yeah, I guess it is honor her in a way because I just saw how she was such an active person. She loved to travel before circuitosis and now she couldn't. And I just, I couldn't imagine um, a whole community of people going through that. So um, not only in her name, but also for the community, I just kind of uh, reached out. I wanted to, I asked for an internship, but I was 16 and uh, FSR would only give out internships to 18 or older. Um, and so they actually had to redo, I feel terrible for Mindy. They had to redo their entire paperwork to allow me to intern and volunteer at the age of 16. Um, and so I got put with Jim and in his peer mentor team. And um, yeah, I just kind of took off from there. Wow. So, so you've been... <laughs> At, uh, how old are you now? Are you 18 yet? I'm 18. Yeah. You're 18 now. Okay. Um, so you've been doing this for two years. Yes. And uh, will you continue to work with FSR? Definitely. Definitely. I'm trying to start a youth advocacy program at my high school, um, or I've been trying it's, it's, uh, it's getting very um, close and, so yeah, I have a lot of a lot of ideas for um, FSR, and I also just love working with everybody in gym, and it, it's yeah, it's it's a great community that I, I love being a part of. Wow, um, and and so when will you feel like you have a sample size or 
uh, enough data to move forward with your project or feel like it's done? I don't think I'll ever feel like it's done if I'm being honest. I think I want to keep pursuing this until I get a solid answer or until I, you know, start testing it in a lab or something like that. So I don't think that my met, like, I don't think my, my hypothesis is enough for me. And I don't think gathering enough evidence to support it is enough for me. I think I want to actually see the evidence um, to have it kind of be enough and then see how we can, I mean, if, if it's true and if it's plausible to see, um, how I can keep helping and, you know, seeing if, you know, maybe people should start testing for the inactive form of vitamin D and seeing how I can kind of make that happen. So I don't think that it's honestly ever going to be done for me, this project. Um, yeah, even, even with like hypothesis wise, I, I, that's definitely not, not what, what I'm ending with. Now, you, you will know soon if you've been accepted to Harvard or one of these other places. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be a medical student? Because you told me that you also might look at being a lawyer. I can't imagine you having the time to, to study for the bar exam and doing this. Yeah, so it really depends. I'm just so unsure of my major right now. I have two very different kind of spheres and majors that I could go into right now. Um, I, I've been I've been working at a law firm for the past couple of years. I, I really like that um, sphere of work as well. As well, but um, even if I were to go into law, I think that this would I would still continue this with what time I had, and maybe you know pass it on to somebody else and just kind of help out as much as I could. But I definitely don't want this project and this hypothesis to kind of end. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I think it is so important. So if I do study, end up, you know, researching medicine in, um, in college and have that be my major, this is definitely going to be my my preferred project. Um, but if it's law, then either I'll pass it on to someone or just continue it on my downtime. Yeah. But yeah. So you um, have you gotten any uh, sort of interest from researchers that are already out there in the field that have been through all of this? and are looking for something to, to dive more deeply into? So I've run this by um, the two researchers that I think would be most interested in right now or have given me the most interest. Um, one, uh, one young man at Stanford, um, Dr. Matthew Baker, he's showed a lot of interest in this. Um, he's helped me with my, uh, the abstract of my paper and my hypothesis. Um, and then Dr. Laura Kopp at UCSF has also um, kind of responded and given me some some um, feedback. So I think that as to I think it's kind of also I can't imagine being a researcher and having all this all of these medical students with me and then having like, you know, a high school student kind of call me and say, hey, here's here's what I've been doing. You know, why don't you why don't you take me on? Um, so I, I don't know, I can't imagine really that happening for me now, but it's, it's, it's shocking that I've gotten so much feedback from all these researchers and all these response, all these responses from them. So, so far, those two have been the most promising, but, um, I definitely want to start, you know, trying to get into labs and things like that, which maybe would be possible with, um, Stanford sooner or later. So you do realize how otherworldly this sounds, you know, a high school student calls and says, yeah. I, I need you to look into this and here's what I think. And, and I've already interviewed people and that, that, that just doesn't happen every day. 
Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> it's it's silly. I know. It's it, I, I feel silly talking about it if I'm being honest because I, I I don't know. I can't I can't really take myself seriously, so I can't imagine all of these people with MDs and PhDs and who've been working and researching for so long look like taking me seriously, which is completely fair, but so somehow I've been getting all these responses. So I guess something must be working or they just, you know, find me to be funny. I don't know. <laughs> well, you, but you have a real story with your grandmother and you obviously uh, have a, uh, uh, a drive and a passion and you've gone about it the right way by going through the foundation for sure. And if you've got Mindy and Jim Kuhn on your side, um, that's, that's uh, you know, those people, when they speak, people listen. So that is you're doing true. it the right way. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see. Hopefully this takes off somehow. All right. So you and I are speaking right now on the 10th of March in 2022. And um, it's very comfortably uh, 1030 in the morning, my time. And you are up at what? 730? 730. Yeah. 730. And you're about to go to school. Sadly. Yes. <laughs> so where do you go to school? Redwood High School in um, Larkspur, California. Redwood High School. And you're taking AP classes? A lot. Uh, well, not a lot. Three. <laughs> so when you get to college, how many college credits will you already have? More than I need. So I think I would have uh, a semester done already. Okay. It depends and, how many classes I take there. but Right. And, and, and if you get into, say, Harvard, they'll accept all of your AP credits, you hope? I hope. I, my AP exams should allow for that to um, to be real to be a real like a realistic um, uh -huh. a realistic thing, but I'm not sure because some of the classes AP research I don't think there is a college credit for it, um, but we'll see. I don't know. It depends on every school takes different credits, but hopefully they'll take all of my credits. Yeah. Well, um, and are you taking uh, a lot of chemistry and so forth and so on, or? Biology. I love biology, biology, physiology, tech chemistry. I took last year. It's very interesting, but for some reason, physiology and biology is really my thing. I really love that. Okay. But you said, sadly, you're going to school today. Are you, are you just over it? Yes. Senioritis is, is kicking in. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term, but it's really big over here. So um, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for the summer. Yeah, we had we had that term even back when I was in high school in the dark ages. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So if somebody wants to reach out to you, if they listen to this and they want to be interviewed or they want to share a story, how do they do it? Um, well, they can email me or they can. Um, I mean, I have social media. That's also a thing. Um, <laughs> but they could also um, reach me through Mindy or Jim either, uh, as well. Um, they all have my contact information, but um, John, I can leave my email with you as well. Um, okay. Yeah, let's do that. And I'll just put it in the show notes and Perfect. then people can just click on that and, and send you an email. Um, and I don't think you'll be covered up with people, but hopefully somebody listening to this will say, wow, this, uh, this young lady is onto something and let's, uh, let's give her the opportunity to succeed. Hopefully, hopefully. Okay. Angelica, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you, John. It's been really, really great. Really fun. I feel like a zombie Just feeding at stumbling 
Thank you, Angelica. Good luck to you. We're so sorry for your loss. We'll be curious to see what happens with you and with your research, and we wish you all the best of luck as you uh, look for those acceptance letters to come back from those impressive colleges to to which you've applied, and uh, please, please do keep those of us in the sarcoidosis community uh, up to speed, up aware of, of what you're doing, and, and thank you for that. And again, we're sorry for the loss of your grandmother. All right, a couple of uh, bookkeeping things. The official Sark Fighter song called Zombie by Mark Steyer and the White Hot Lizards. That's his band, and he is a fellow Sark Fighter. The story behind his lyrics back in episode 12, and you should go back and listen to it because he has a great story to tell as well. He was a hockey player until... Um, until sarcoidosis decided it wanted to interrupt his life. Uh, So we call it the snowflake disease because everybody's got their own individual sarcoidosis story. No two people are alike, just like no two snowflakes are alike. I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting Sark, and so are you, whether you're a caregiver, a patient, a researcher, or a family member. As we heard today, this is where we all gather so you don't feel like you're all alone, and maybe we can find a reason for hope. We release this podcast every other Monday, and I say we because it's me, it's you, uh, it's the foundation for sarcoidosis research, and hopefully we can just get a, get a little momentum going here with the Sark Fighter podcast. Go back and listen to some of the bonus episodes on Sark and COVID. There's a bonus episode dealing just with prednisone, and uh, these are rare opportunities we're working with the foundation for sarcoidosis research all the top people in the country are uh, in one place at one time for the recording and we literally we sit down and we talk about prednisone and we're talking about it a very uh, understandable but also at a level from the people who know the most about it in the country uh, or who have suffered from it and I put myself in that category uh, on 80 milligrams of prednisone a day for months and months Uh, trying to get this under control and living with all the side effects. So go back and listen to that bonus episode. It's very easy to search. If you want to know more about me, my story is episode two. The backstory to the founding of the foundation is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson, who started it at their kitchen table more than 20 years ago. Andrea suffers with sarcoidosis. You can send me an email in the show notes if you'd like to be on the Sark Fighter podcast or share your story, maybe participate in some way, carlinagency at gmail.com, but there's a there's an uh, email link in the show notes. Follow the Sark Fighter on Instagram, and you can follow the Sark, uh, Sark Fighter on Facebook. I appreciate your interest in the Sark Fighter podcast. It helps me reach more people and grow the show if you'll share it on your social media. If you like it, just please tell one person. Thanks again to Angelica for sharing her story today. Let's support her any way we can. And until next time, keep fighting. Learn to suffer, you feel pain someday. Learn endurance, your strength will fade away. Dead man walking, trying to keep up the pace. Dead man walking, counting.